Holy Jesus. What is that? What the fuck is that? You have violated my wife. I did you not. soiled the sanctity of my home. You know what you are, Scott? You know what you are? You're the Antichrist. What? Yes, that's what you are. You are the motherfucking Antichrist. Ow! This is Paul T. Taylor, and you are listening to The Metal Hand of God. Yeah, baby! <laughs> don't worry if you don't make it out alive. We'll give you your money back. Guaranteed! Welcome back to the Metal Hand of God podcast. I am your host, Wayne, and with me as always is... The Rum Guy. How you doing, everybody? Uh, today we have a, a very amazing guy with us. Uh, he's a hip-hop artist. He's a, a man of every mystery and everything else. President, <laughs> CEO. Francis. Yep. What's amazing up, career you've had so far. <laughs> Sage Francis, how you doing, Yeah. <laughs> I'm doing well. Thank you guys very much. Uh, and, and guys, if you notice the sound is a little different, and if you notice that I am slurring my speech, I am not having a stroke. I just have a really bad echo in my head, and uh, this, <laughs> everything else went to shit over here, like the soundboard burned up and all that good stuff. So I am trying my best to make this work. <laughs> but uh, that was the metal hand of God coming down and smacking your your mixer. That's what that's it is. right. It was like you can't do this. <laughs> Smash Absolutely. Well, man, you you've got a lot of projects uh, going on from what I you know from what I understand. But uh, this uh, one thing that caught my attention. Uh, Wayne Wayne told me all about you, and I, of course I had to go and look you up and everything. But it was like, and your and your name sounded familiar to me. And then I looked up uh, Epic Beard Men. This is awesome. Yes. Yeah, man, that was my that was kind of my um, passion project with B. Dolan, um, who I had toured with uh, for a decade up until we decided to do a group uh, project. And um, so that was the last official thing I ever did, which took up about three years of my touring life and recording life. And everyone was like, we're why is it taking you so long to do another Sage Francis album? Well, that's the reason it was uh, a lot of my time and energy was dedicated to that. Well, is there, is there going to be more to, to the Epic Beard Men uh, legacy here? Or is it, are you going to pull back and just focus on the solo stuff now? Probably just solo stuff, but we had, um, we have a really interesting um, remix of a song uh, called, um, the song is called five hearts. And then, we ended up getting a bunch of different rappers to 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 do different versions of game related verses on oh, it, nice. and uh, it's it's really really cool. I'm very happy with it. But then we were like, when are we ever going to release this, and what is it going to be part of? <laughs> and then you know the 
the pandemic hit and it was like it just never felt like a good time to do that so right. we're i think if we get one more interesting or unique song together we could put out a seven inch and but we're not we're not going to be touring as the epic beard men probably ever we might maybe we'll do a, a new england show or two but uh, that's not in the plans oh, oh man it, it's sucks. awesome though yeah it's I love not it. a great love it i yeah i, I mean it was our fun stuff. You know, both of us are heady artists and we're a lot of our material is angry or brooding. And then Epic Beardman was our, our excuse to just have more fun and a more partyish vibe, even though a lot of it isn't, <laughs> yeah, but a lot of it is. And, um, it just wasn't the kind of thing we could live off of. We can live off of our solo careers, but then when we dedicate too much time to the, the group project, <laughs> Not, not only do we double our expenses, but we split our, our profits in half. And then we're realizing, man, I'm like bleeding money here. So it's um, right. Yeah, as much as I love it and we love each other is not sustainable. We'll do. I mean, I'd love to do stuff just for fun. Not, And I don't plan on ever touring around an album ever again. So um, I think we are in a great position just to make stuff for fun and release it. Uh, everyone listens to music for free anyway. So, right. I mean, so yeah, so you said we you, don't have you, to, you're not going to tour again. Not with the Epic beard, man. I, no, no, it's doubtful. I'll, I'll ever really tour the way I've toured for the last 20 years again. Um, wow. yeah, I'm, I'm just, even before the pandemic, hit i was preparing myself for that transition and then i was basically forced into the transition by the pandemic i had to cancel a whole year's worth of shows or six months worth of shows i lost money on that um i lost momentum i lost inertia i lost interest and right. um i also gained a baby boy yeah congratulations. <laughs> you know, that. that's, that's I, amazing yeah, all those things factor in where you I realize, wow, there's no way I could feel comfortable leaving for a month or even a week. I, I don't think I, I mean, at some point, maybe I could pull off a week, but he's growing and developing so quickly. Um, and I it's just my life force now. It really as hard as my day to day activities are with just trying to juggle a billion things. Uh, you know, I hold my son for, you know. 20 minutes and I feel totally rejuvenated and, and like life makes sense again. And I can go about my, my tasks with a better mood. And, um, it's, this is nothing I've ever experienced in my whole life. So my, all my gears are, are just in different orders and working differently. I completely understand where you're coming from. Uh, my son is now five and I had him and everything changed everything there was the priorities become in a different order you know yeah yeah and, and... yeah i can't i can't even imagine i mean because i i'm also raising two older girls and they're they're going to school and we live in an area where my wife and i live in an area where we don't have friends or family around so it's not like we get much outside help so we're really just shouldering all the responsibilities right. and I'd also feel like an asshole if I <laughs> just left like, Hey, good luck taking care of everything all by yourself. Bye. <laughs> have a, have a good month. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's very modern. Of you. Love and life. What are you up to? 
No, I, I can't do that. <laughs> well, I'm glad I got to see you when you were out here in New Orleans. Uh, you played at uh, the Southport Hall, and I got to see you over there. This was this when was, was years that? Ago. This was years ago, probably about three or four years ago. Okay, was it with that Epic Beardman? Uh, no, it was with you. It was just Shades Fantras. Okay, solo stuff. Yeah. yeah, I love New Orleans. I really, really love it. Yeah, it was it was a fun show, man. I really enjoyed it. But uh, well, you've got you've got the. That's whole, one of the uh, spots. I'm sorry. Go ahead, sir. Oh, I was just, just going to say, uh, for what I do for the independent hip hop stuff, which really kicked off in the early 2000s, um, New Orleans was one of the our main spots to go to. To, but a lot of southern states, it just became more and more difficult to play. But I'll always uh, make an extra effort to go to New Orleans just because I love that city so much. It's just so unique, um, and I, I just get good feelings there. It's it's tight. That's <laughs> a good spot. <laughs> yeah, man, I, I, the city's always great to play in. Always, and if, and I get that from other um, other musicians as well. They say the same thing. Like, you know, we always make the effort to try to get into New Orleans no matter where yeah. we're at. Yeah, and it's not easy. It's it's kind of a pain in the butt to, to do that if you're routing a tour. But, yeah. yeah, you make the exception for New Orleans. That's funny. Yeah, yeah I, I'm, I'm glad you're not the only one that says that. That's great. Well, what was, the, what was the step for you that made you get drawn towards the the hip-hop? Era, uh, the genre of hip hop. What was it? What was it about that that called to you? Yeah, because it wasn't. Um, I'm not from a hip hop heavy area. I I, I was raised in Rhode Island, and um, we we're kind of in between Boston and New York City. So we did get some uh, stuff. I mean, this is well before the internet. The only way you would right. have access to the music was through the radio or magazines. Sometimes would cover some hip-hop stuff um eventually yo mtv raps was a huge deal uh, which i don't think people mention nearly enough how how influential and important yo mtv raps was for making um real good hip-hop uh accessible to mm-hmm. people all over the world um so i got into hip-hop before UMTV raps uh, just when i heard it something about it appealed to me a part of me thinks it's because there was it was a very um just right the fact that it's rhyme heavy and it was simplistic enough where i could understand what they're saying and it was different enough where i knew it wasn't um all the other stuff i was hearing which i didn't really enjoy all that much and i was i was super drawn to hip-hop just the aesthetic of it just the the style of it, uh, the mystery of it, not really understanding what was going on, but trying to figure it out. So I became what I think a lot of kids do with the comic books. I did that with hip hop where I just, I just, yeah, I I just consumed as much of it as I could. And like, you're trying to figure out, well, how does this fit into that? How does that, how does he work with that person? How do these things go? How come this guy is an enemy with that guy? What are they talking about? You know, Um, all that stuff uh, kind of captured my imagination and i tried to participate in, in it as much as i could i, I trying to figure it out you know rapping uh, how to record myself how to make songs and how to even find it that was that was part of the, the scavenger hunt was like where the hell do i get more of this it's not, not like there was even a hip-hop section in record stores not at the time no 
There wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you I think mean, about it, dude. It, it, between, you know, when hip-hop was just coming around and the uh, the underground metal scene, they, they never had any of that stuff in the stores. You couldn't find that. You'd have, you, It was like you had to go to magazines to order the, the albums or whatever. Yeah. You know? Right. Right. Or, or yeah. if you were lucky enough, yeah, your dad it, was part of like the the Columbia House Records, and they had maybe one or two <laughs> for a penny on there that you were like, "Oh, look, I heard of these guys. Let's try this." I you still know? owe those suckers money. Yeah, me too. <laughs> they, I, that was a, they. They have a funny story to them. I'm sure there's some documentary out there about how bullshit their whole system was. Uh, but I don't know much about it. I just I I can remember a while back I came across a story about how they were like everyone was curious like how is it possible I can get all these albums for a penny you know like either like what what kind of scam they were running it wasn't a scam but there was some kind of some kind of fuckery about oh yeah do you, oh, they, do you they had to on, do the loop you man that was what it was do you, do you remember on the when you got the package in the mail for Columbia House you had the 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 book sheet of they looked like like postage stamps. Yes. You know, lick them and stick them. I used to take, uh, go through all of them and find the ones that had the coolest freaking artwork. And then I would go <laughs> and to the, to the library in the town next to me and have them blow them up as big as they could <laughs> to try to make posters. Cause uh, it's too cheap to buy them. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> DIY MFS right there. Hell yeah, all my dude. posters in my room look like postage stamps. just really big. <laughs> <laughs> Oh fuck that! That's very great. crisp too. Very, yeah. very yeah. sure. Yeah, those those uh, wonderful printers they had at the time. It was like, you know, yeah, <laughs> it was great. Dot. No, matrix. but I mean, you you've you've got an interesting um, formula for your the the way you lay out your lyrics, and it's it's a it's a very smooth way you do it. Is oh yeah. It, is it something you've? Um, well, of course, yeah, you've had to have worked on it for a long time. But it, but it, did it come natural to you that way, or was it just something that you had to actually put time in to figure out your specific flow? Uh, yeah, it took a long time, um, and I'm still developing it. it it's just a it just always trying to improve and build upon the craft that I'm I'm excited by. So. so I would say it all, even my earlier recordings, I'm not, I, it's not my voice just yet. I, I, at some point I did develop what I think is the Sage Francis voice. And, um, the more I do it, the more I think about words, the more I connect, um, r- rhyming sounds and having stuff all make sense and not forcing, um, a bad sentence just cause it rhymes, you know, like I, I figured out a, a thing that I'm, comfortable with and that works for me and that i think is dope and unique that is important i think when you're involved in any craft for you to find your own voice and it's not something that just comes naturally because you're gonna fuck up you know you're gonna be bad at first you're gonna have to figure out why you know like you'll have the urge to do the easy thing and you think damn i'm so dope i'll just do this easy thing everyone everyone's gonna love it and then you look back on it and you're like oh that's kind of cringy that's not me i don't like that uh, you know <laughs> so eventually i think um once i think what was important for me was being exposed to the spoken word scene and um having access to performers who were comfortable with a vulnerable material uh, which was the dynamic opposite of the bravado of hip hop. 
and um, talking about things that just would give me goosebumps because it was so personal and I could relate to it so hard. I was like, man, yeah. I wonder if I can, at first I, I try to like live two different lives. I would live the spoken word life and I would live the hip hop life. But um, eventually I started merging the two until, uh, and I would say right before my first studio album, which was Personal Journals, that was right when I was figuring it out. So that's a that's such an important record for me. And I'm glad that I didn't put out anything official before that because I could have easily pegged myself as a more typical lazy or whack MC. <laughs> so <laughs> I, and people's a lot of hip hop at the time was like, this ain't even hip hop. You know, like I can remember um, fucking nasty man was the, the, the publicity company, which all they did um, uh, stuff for the beastie boys. Yeah. And mm-hmm. that's why they have album hello nasty and uh they showed mike d my personal journals album and he listened to it and apparently he said this ain't hip-hop wow (laughs) and you know like i grew up adoring the beastie boys and paul's boutique is one of my favorite albums of all time you know yeah when i heard that instead of feeling insulted i kind of just grinned it made me happy in a weird way i was like okay you you don't see it as hip hop but what the fuck do you do like no right um yeah well but so you anyways know what? you um, also can yeah. can say hey you know he listened to my record yeah you yeah know? that's cool i mean that's i don't care if he listens to it and likes it or not I, I also i think the fact that i was a white mc when other white rappers were listening to stuff like that especially back then when everyone was trying to own the whole, whole i'm the only good white mc right type uh, you know, accolade that we're just in a whole different time now. And I, I don't know. He was also, when I first tried to move to New York city in 1996, I was such a dumb kid. I was so dumb. I didn't know shit. I just knew me. I, I thought I had to move to New York city if I was ever going to have a rap career. And I remember getting off of a bus or maybe it was out of a cab. And the first fucking person I saw was Mike D. What? Oh, wow. And he was, Mike D was getting into a cab and I was like shell shocked. I was just frozen stiff. I was like, yo, I was like, I love your music. I said, I'm a rapper. I come from Rhode Island. I just moved here. Can you give me any pointers? And he was like, yeah, you should check out uh fat beach records. And, um, yeah, I think that was it. He just was like getting into his cab and trying to get away. <laughs> yeah. Like, right. So that's the next spot I hit up and, fact fat beats ended up being the first people who put out uh my first 12 inch in 1999 dude that's awesome that is so cool though that's a that's a really weird coincidence right you get out your cab and super weird super (laughs) yeah well my for as limited of a time as i had in new york city it's incredible how many people i bumped into and made connections with um randomly like i I, tr- I just walked the streets randomly. I was looking for ciphers. I was looking for people freestyling so I could hop in and just show off. You know, I want, right. wanted people to know my name. That's not really how you get known, but that's what I was doing. And yeah, just little things like that really kind of linked me to cool shit. That's um, cool, dude. Yeah, man. But then I didn't, couldn't make enough money to live there, so I had to run home with my tail between my legs. I understand. I, yeah. I tried to live in New York myself, and it was... I lived in the apartment that they always show on Law and Order when they're stepping over the drunk. 
stoner on the staircase. That was my apartment. Yeah. Yeah. That, I, my, that... You walked in the door, you could touch both walls, two walls with like your hands out to your sides. It was so fucking small. When I first went there in 1996, a friend let me stay with him. It was, um, it was the building that Tom's restaurant is for Seinfeld. Oh, oh nice. so that shot. Yeah. So Tom's, and Tom's, it said Tom's restaurant. Now, I also think Tom's Diner was written about that. Um, but uh, that was, I only spent a month there. He was going to school at Columbia and he let me crash because he was like, all right, this weirdo rapper kid needs a place to stay. I'll let him stay with me. But um, <laughs> and he was very nice to do that. Very, very cool. The weirdo rapper kid. so do you do you think it's uh, if you were to look back on it now and then and if you see somebody i mean you've got a lot of people uh on your label on your uh that are under you here uh do you think it's was harder then or is is it harder now to get involved in it is it it, it, has that has the has the the game changed for the hip-hop scene since you were coming up uh, it's changed drastically, but what's weird is I would say it's equally as difficult back then as it is now. Maybe it's more difficult now. I don't know, but back then what was so difficult is you really – there were so many gatekeepers. We didn't have the internet. Um, so the the sweet spot for people in my position to get known and live off of this was like between 99 and 2005. Mm, okay. But now, now – I run a record label, so I and I've run I've been running this record label since back then. So I've seen the levels of difficulty change and all the different um, switches in the industry and all where attention goes. Um, and I feel bad for artists these days who are trying to, you know, just just stick to their guns and be as good as they can be, not take any cheap shortcuts. But there's a a million of these people out there and they all have access to the same platforms. So um, it's just so difficult for anyone to stick out and, and to get yeah. noticed. And like, I feel bad. Cause I like, I'm representing people I think are really good and I, who deserve more listeners who deserve to be able to live off of their music, considering how much time and talent and even money goes into the stuff. But at the end of the day, they all need to have day jobs. Right. Um, and that, and that kind of takes away from what they could be doing artistically. Um, but that's where we're at. That's, that's most people just are, have to do music as they're, I don't want to call it a hobby. Cause I feel like that degrades what they're doing. Cause like they a part-time are job. I, well, you can't, yeah, you can't well, they really need go to, out anymore and just like try to hand you a demo tape to the DJ right. coming out of the radio station, or you can't stand outside of yeah. Sony Studios trying to trying to hustle out some some new mixes you put out. It's it's a, I, I don't yeah, know. But if, back in the day, back in the day, they had pay to play on radio. That's how a lot of people got big because they were backed by major labels. And now they also have pay to play on Spotify. Um, really, we're. Yes. So only certain there's these huge playlists that um, people can pay to get access and and be put on these playlists so that they are in front of more eyes and in front of more ears, uh, which greatly increases their chances of getting a, a fan base and amassing a following. And so 
the more things change, the more they stay the same. <laughs> I get you. I get you. But like I said, there was that sweet spot in uh, starting in the late '90s, where as much as we cursed it, uh, Napster was huge. Oh yeah, for our exposure because for us who didn't have distribution deals, didn't have the money to even you know, like make enough product in order to reach all corners of the world, suddenly there's Napster, and if you were um, able to do anything that made people aware of your name, they type in your name, boom, whatever stuff that you uploaded to Napster or if someone ripped it, it's there for the taking. And, and uh, that was a bittersweet thing for me. Cause I, I, I love the fact that people could get my music anywhere, but I also wanted to live off my music. So I was like, please just buy it. If you like it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It was in back then, you know, yeah, it was good for one way and it was terrible for another. And I, I mean, I get it, guys like yourself that are trying to push and push your music and, you know, to to, to make people buy. Um, but when there's guys like Metallica who are making millions already that are bitching about one song that's been on the radio for like 10 years, you know, yeah. it, it's kind of sad to see that point. But. Like I understand yeah, the indie artists. I, I the remember indie artists, that all. Know. Yeah, I, I mean, they they just exist on a whole different plane. Like I I can't I can't fathom the game that they're playing on that level because it's nothing I'll ever experience. I, I mean, I may have come close to it just in the business working with Epitaph and um, some of the bigger name artists that I've worked with, but you know, Metallica just exists on a whole other fucking plane. So they can change laws <laughs> they could they could change uh parts of the the sound landscape and um all of us are you know i don't know living in a, a lower tier of um business right that we're we're just fighting for scraps and they're there with a fucking sitting on a mountain of fucking gold <laughs> and like you know i never listened to Metallica. I was not a metal kid growing up. I, um, my my understanding of them is always in passing or with a t shirt. Right. Sure, and sure. you know, I did like when it came to rap battles, I would wear a Metallica shirt because I was owning up to the white stereotype. I would always be targeted as <laughs> in rap battles. But I don't, I don't own a fucking Metallica record. I don't know shit about them. But I, I have toured with metal bands. I've lived with metal bands. Um, I respect the hell out of, uh, what they do and it's a good community, but, um, just, yeah. not, just not the thing you're into. Yeah, I was, I was the only thing, the closest I ever got was getting into hardcore. I did get into hardcore for nice. a period in the mid nineties. Um, New what England one, had a what really was one cool of your favorite hardcore bands. VOD vision of disorder was Love one of my that favorite. Band. Love Man, that I, band, yeah, dude. yeah. Their first demo there's a four song demo i still play it like oh. occasionally it's it gets me pretty excited man dude look vod <laughs> i've always wanted to see that band live and never get to get a chance to those dudes were so fun, yeah i got but... this i did get to see them live and my my nose got smacked it almost broke <laughs> my nose and it yeah yeah the, the, the old the hardcore tune. the old hardcore bands man like i i was big into uh uh, sick of it all and um, 
youth of today yeah. and the, the that yeah. new york style you know the new york hardcore guys yeah that's all the here. stuff that i was into yeah that's and, and i was kind of forced into it by uh college friends who knew that i only listened exclusively to hip-hop and they're like we gotta get you to these shows man and if they didn't take me to those shows i would not have ever developed the diy ethic that i that i did because i learned it from hardcore i learned it from the punk scene yeah those dudes they if they didn't have a show they'd make one you know if if they they could write your name on a t-shirt with a marker and sell it (laughs) to people for a dollar you know that's what they did and 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 look at um uh, Youth of Today and uh, Sick of It All. Sick of It All is still putting out records 30 years later. Yeah, H2O as well, right? Yeah. H2O yeah. is still doing it. Yeah. <laughs> They're still pushing it out. Uh, uh, Youth of Today, the uh, Ray and um, uh, I forget the other guy's name, but they became like uh, super, super, um, oh, God, uh, hindu you know, like um, uh, Buddhism. They're into Buddhism yes. really much. Yes. And, uh, yes, it's funny because my punk, my hardcore friends took me to a a temple. <laughs> no shit. And uh, yeah, that was just the thing. That was part of the whole thing. Like it, we, they all wanted to get the necklace. You know, they wanted. Yeah. Um, so we'd go in. You'd have to take your shoes off, and then they'd feed you vegetarian food or vegan food. And um, I remember I. I was so scared. I was like, this is satanic. <laughs> and I ran out. I ran out. I was like, I left my friends in there by themselves. I was like, I'm not doing that. But um, yeah, I was very, I had no idea what the hell was going on. I, I've learned a lot since then, but it's yeah. funny to, to remember how, how I was like, this is unfamiliar to me and I'm scared. I'm out. <laughs> yeah. Um, Ray is a very cool guy. He's uh, supposed to come on the show uh, pretty soon. Uh, but he, he's he's always in uh, India and doing all these things with um, his teachings, which is really freaking cool. It's amazing how far he's come from being a guy who's playing in DIY broken down houses and and yeah. Uh, yeah. apartment buildings that they were putting on live shows with like 150 kids to where he's at now, you know? Yeah, I I think I, I think I heard a did he do Joe Rogan's podcast because I he feel did. like I heard yeah he okay I, I listened to that yeah yeah, yeah that's it's very very cool stuff yeah man those guys uh, you know some of those guys are uh I'm surprised they're still alive <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> I mean think about it, like like the guy um um uh like oh god Harley from the Cro-Mags. that you know that dude has been through some shit and He's still putting out music, which is great. Yeah, some people just are cut from that indestructible cloth. Keith right. Richards is still alive, man. It's like <laughs> no, he's some not. people just have that. <laughs> he he well, died back in '78. Is that the clone? Is that the no? That, they just they just keep putting him on stage. That's all it is. Oh, they yeah. just keep pumping him through for something. I've been. But uh, no, you uh, since you you decided not to do the tour thing anymore. I mean, is the the projects you have coming up? I mean, what you, you mentioned before we really started that you I, you may not be able to talk about a lot of them. But I mean, what what do you got going on? I know you have something going on because you're you're too damn busy not to. Right. Yeah. A few years ago, <clears throat> a few years ago, I I started working on on my next solo album, and um, I have a hundred beats to work with that I love. 
Um, and I was recording in my house in Rhode Island, which I also ran my record label out of. And then I had to move to Connecticut and leave my studio behind. And then I tried moving my studio from Rhode Island to my my home in Connecticut. And it's it's not set up yet still, like all these years later. It's just been so, so much. So much has happened since I moved. And um, I just put all projects on hold, although I'm facilitating several projects projects that are happening through strange famous records so um as i prepare to do my solo album i i'm also considering another solo album and i'm part of different kind of compilation albums where because we work with um several beat makers who just will put together especially during the pandemic this became very popular they would make a full instrumental album and then they're like who wants to rap on it? So we would reach out to all the MCs we work with and all the rappers, uh, you know, would get access to the beats and then they would send their verses and then we'd have to figure out how to compile them all together. Um, but these, sometimes this would branch off into solo projects with just the rapper and the producer, the main producer, his name's prolific, the guy who's been doing a lot of the stuff. Um, but prolific is changing his name I've I've been working with him since the early 2000s, but he's he's decided he's in this this transition in life where he needs to use a, a new name. So I can't I don't want to speak on it yet because okay. like that should be his responsibility. Right, right. But um, he's cranking out so much shit that it, it's just crazy that the, there's two other producers that I work with who also hit me up with the same concept. It's like here's all the beats. Um, here's what I want to do, and then I'm I'm thinking about who could get on it, but it's it's that kind of thing where it's very um, I don't know if it I want these to come across as cohesive projects, not piecemeal projects, and right. not mixtape projects. So it, it's going to take a little bit more uh, I don't know meddling and me fidgeting about and figuring out how to make it all work the way it needs to work but here's 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 where we're at i mean after we all spent so much time alone in our own home studios most people were just working on different types of music and beats and now we want to figure out how to eventually release it even though still there's no promise of touring there's no promise of doing live shows so it's it's all felt way too up in the air um, for me to consider doing like I'm not pre- I'm not going to be pressing any like great amounts of physical product so m- people are consuming music through digital media and um, that makes it easier and harder <laughs> that, that makes yeah. it easier to get your music out, out there but it makes it harder for you to really get Sell recognized it. and get yeah yeah get monetary value out of the support from people because even people think because they pay for a Spotify subscription that they're supporting the artists they listen to, and it doesn't work like that, baby. <laughs> well, do you do you see a? Do you think there's going to be a change like there was with uh, what was it? Maybe uh, 10, 15, I don't even know how many years ago when uh, when iTunes was really kicking stuff out, and they started doing the charging for you know it was like ninety nine cents a song. Do you? But do you see another change when it comes to being able to get artists the the money that they're they're owed with these songs that are that are that are out there? I know there's a lot of grumbling about it. Um, 
I don't know if the change is going to actually happen without some type of better organization on, on the musicians part. And I feel like, um, I feel like it could be the kind of thing where if you're listening, if you listen to an album, like a particular album once Mm -hmm. all the way through twice all the way through, maybe the third time you get prompted to say, Hey, you want to keep listening to this um, and have it as part of your library pay a certain amount. Um, I can see that as, as a viable option. I, I can see people saying like, all right, yeah, that makes sense. Or else you, you know, just like news websites do that with their, their paywalls where you can read three free articles. And then they're sure. like, if you want to get more access to our intellectual property, you're going to pay this amount. Uh, I don't know why they don't do that. I, I don't think that works really well with, with newspapers on websites, but, um, there's something to that. And I think that we yeah. should explore that. Like someone, someone raised that point recently in a, um, some group chat I was part of re- recently with a organization called youth on record in Denver, Colorado. Um, I don't want to say that as if I came up with the idea myself. So shout out to, uh, I forget, <laughs> I forget who the fuck said it, but that guy, it's a good idea. Yeah. Good idea. Yeah. <laughs> that is a good idea. Cause it, uh, I can see is, is the first attempt worked for a little while. And that was after what we were talking about, after the Napster, after Kazaa, after all that crap, and people were just stealing stuff, and then, you know you had that option to buy it. Uh, but yeah. uh, I, th- I think it's kind of uh, the the technology's moved so fast, and uh, there's so many different doors in the room to get into and out of really quickly that there's no there's no line of sight, there's no focus on on actually this is where you go to get your music and this right. is what it costs. You know. I was going to say that because it was like in the podcast world, there's so many different places that stream us. Like we, yeah. we're on like 200 fucking different net, you know, like streaming sites that people would listen to us on. And there's no one focus. If there was more like, okay, so well, got, do, what do you, do you think it should be? You think it should be yes. streamlined into one service? Uh, not Maybe not one service, maybe like, uh, maybe an over a system sort of a, I think it needs to be more of a, a formula uh, that uh, you can have a company that, uh, that does it. You can form a company that does it, but there's a formula. And uh, you know, just because you own the site that has your music on it, you know, somebody has a site that has your music on it. doesn't mean that they get paid and you don't. Uh, If anything, uh, you're basically, you know, I, I would be holding somebody else's intellectual properties in my hand. Uh, and so Joe Blow comes over and says, hey, I, I'd like to get some of that. Be like, all right, well, I can't say I'm going to charge, you know, you like $2 for this song right. uh, and or 50% of it. All I should be getting is, you know, my percentage. It should be a percentage, but the artist's rights to that music needs to be looked at a little bit more closely and should yeah. be uh, should be actually uh, respected a bit more. And they say, oh, here, uh, to the artist, I, I did this. I, I had your song in my, my library of stuff and someone purchased it. So here's your money. And then I get my whatever percentage of it. Why would they purchase it, though? Uh, like well, that's the just... thing. That's, that's the thing. It's, why would they purchase it at this point? Because there's so many yeah. ways of getting it without purchasing it. That's what I'm saying, though. There needs to be some sort of 
massive overhaul overhaul of the internet system when it comes to uh, rights of of music of art of everything it's it's you know I can go on a, a laptop right now like right click save as picture boom right click boom yeah. I just downloaded your song yeah but you know? I mean you run out of like we got to a point where people stopped wanting to eat up their data you know so that's why streaming services are so popular because you don't own it boo but also it you you're, you're not running out of space and well, you true, can always but access it, it if you want. but it's the illusion of being able to access whatever you want when the, when the truth of the matter is there's a lot of limitations to the streaming services and there's a lot of music you cannot find on streaming services yeah and, but sh- shouldn't it be more um, like the old radio station days where if I was playing an artist song, they got a royalty from it? I think so. That, well, they do They do, do that. It, Some. It's just not fair. It's not fair the way they split it up. Um, the way what Spotify pays out per stream is obscene. Oh. And, well, that, that's you know, it all, almost makes, yeah, it makes me harken back to the iTunes days where I was like, shaking my fist at them taking 40% of a cut when someone would pay $1 for a song. I was like, why do you deserve 40% of that dollar just because you hosted it on your fucking website? Right. right. But now I'm like, man, I'd really like to have that deal again. But no, <laughs> it's, um, you know, I'm always looking back at things I was mad at before and now I'm wishing I kind of had that again, but well, maybe that's there's, what there's better ways we, Maybe we need to go back to those the older way of yeah. of thinking about it. It seemed to be shitty then, but it, it it could be as it is now. It might be a bit more fair in the in the way, uh, more so than what what a lot of these sites are paying out now. Well, I mean, fair is going to be determined by the listenership, and the majority of people really don't give a shit. Like they 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 don't care. The majority of people are determining what services are. Um, most used and if they get told they're gonna have to say go from ten dollars um, per month to twenty dollars per month just so that artists can be compensated fairly then those services risk losing uh, their subscription base and someone some other service will pop up so I guess what would need to happen is that a lo- it would have to be a law it would yeah, have to be a law be- yeah yeah that you have to pay a certain amount for every um, stream or whatever. This is beyond. This is well beyond my my depth, but that's that's <laughs> where we're going. That's certainly if we're look we're looking towards things being fair. That's what we got to do. You know what? I think in the next fifteen to twenty years, all the streaming shit's gonna be gone, <laughs> and we're all gonna go back to fucking uh, uh, perm. You know, like uh, physical merchandise. Perhaps I'm hoping. I hope so because I got like a garage full of CDs. Oh yeah, yeah. dude! Look for real. Like hey, I, Wayne Bell bottoms are back. Anything's possible. Hey, look! I'm I'm telling you the truth. I mean, think about it. Everything makes a a comeback, right? Look, there people are going ape shit over vinyl and cassettes. People yeah. are going crazy oh, yeah. over VHS tapes. And I'm going, guys, those those things, sorry, but those things are going to continue no matter what. There's always going to be a portion of um, people who are collectors and, and there's going to be the novelty of owning something physical when, when so much of our life is digital, but you're like, Hey man, 
I got this fucking Sage Francis tape. <laughs> right, like, right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and, and and I will be that dude. Like I I I dig having the actual CD or the the cassette or whatever. You know, I, I like having the physical property because if I'm going to a streaming site and I have to hunt for a fucking song, whether I know it's I can just go in my other room and grab the CD and it's right there. What's sad for me? What's sad for me is a lot of my, uh, a lot of the way, well, a big way I was able to fund the record label was by selling my mixtapes. But my mixtapes consisted of other people's music, mm -hmm. uh, me rapping over stuff I didn't own. So it really was outlaw music. It was really right. like not not meant for mass consumption. It really was something to sell at a show that was unique that you could only get there. So a lot of tons of that material is i can't i can't put it on streaming services it's it's so it's it's not accessible to almost anybody so i'd love and i we always make our physical product available on strange famous it's it's going to always be there as long as we are a company but um i don't think it's ever going to go back to the way we once enjoyed because i think streaming is just every single day it gets more and more common and um access to internet makes hell maybe at some point people won't even be paying for internet connections it'll just right. be a public utility that is available to everybody so um there's you know, going to be other you know things at play you know what's going to happen is snake bliskin is going to go <laughs> and he's going to make this entire this whole country just go under one big emp pulse and everything's right. going to get erased it's going to yeah. suck that's what I'm afraid of, but hey, what do I know? I'm getting old. Yeah, I'm an old man too. <laughs> I feel well, every time we get into a conversation like this, I always feel like me and Rum are the guys that are, are like, like, get off my grass. Yeah, get off my grass. But uh, I, I wanted to ask you one one thing though, which is really really cool that I've noticed with some of your videos is you have some really cool animated videos that you've done. Yes. I love the animated videos because I hate rapping in front of a camera. Um, and I'm, I'm very lucky. <laughs> like when rapping into a camera is, it feels like the corniest shit ever. It just doesn't feel right. So I'm lucky to have animators out there who are willing to work with me and, and put together material that doesn't mimic what I'm saying necessarily because they can tell their own story and still stick to the theme of the song that, yeah, I love that. It's just incredibly time consuming and expensive to do that. But, but um, I'm, I'm so proud of all those animated videos. Yeah. They're awesome. Awesome, dude. Like I love watching them. Offius, like this dude, Offius from the UK. Uh, he's also a producer. Uh, he does incredible videos. Uh, Wasaru is a dude from France who, did the make them purr video nice and the pistol Dave video so it's just when i get these people in my mix and i feel so lucky i'm very 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 grateful just to have their involvement yeah we we kind of we have a, a friend of ours who who uh draws for idw and uh, a few other comic book companies and we actually have two or three guys but we do prints and pictures for ourselves and he does all the artwork for us and it's it's. I know how you feel when it, when you're saying it's. You're blessed to have these guys in your life, and yeah, dude, to have those dudes work on pieces for us, it just it's it's awesome. 
Yeah, that, I mean that's a that's a wonderful extra <laughs> cherry right. on top to what you were doing. Um, videos was never my thing, and I didn't come up. It's it's weird how they became like a song didn't um, wasn't official unless it had a video to it. Like that that's something more recently that came yeah. about. But when I was coming up, it was it was rare that you'd even know what a rapper looked like yep. especially in underground hip-hop so you didn't know who was white you didn't know who was black it was kind of like you had to wonder unless they explicitly stated it yeah and then and i never made songs with a video in mind so the first songs of mine that went viral like makeshift <laughs> patriot um i never in a million years was thinking of doing a video for it i just wanted people to listen to the words not get distracted by any visuals um so thankfully i came up during that era but then eventually right when when youtube hit in 2005 and it became more common for underground artists to have visuals accompanying their their music we were like ah so at first videos would cost ten thousand dollars yeah if you wanted a legit video because uh, the technology wasn't um as good as it is now and there was usually production companies you'd have to work with and man that was that's a heck of a fucking expense you know like you better pick the right song it better be a kick-ass video and it better garner you a big following or else that is a waste of money a lot of money Uh, now yeah i mean now we have technology is easy enough where you could a lot of people can just edit on their own on their computer and you know even use an iphone or an android to film you'll get some you'll get quality out of that you can really do some really good shit uh, for a low cost so that's why i guess it's it's just more common that you'll see videos now but that it just is not part of my musical dna yeah yeah. even though man uh, oh i'm sorry rob go ahead i just was going to ask one one more quick question before before we we end up wrapping this up soon it's just, uh, I was curious, are, are you the cool dad though? I mean, you've got kids in your life. Uh, do they look at you and go, man, I have the coolest dad or, or, or whatever. Not, no, I, 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 I want to like spring it on them at some point that I'm cool. Like I want it to be a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I want them to just, cause I'm, I'm really, unfortunately, um, the rules and regulations guy Same. and, uh, it it pains me because that's not my spirit. Same. <laughs> but this little human is growing up, and I know what they're going to encounter in this world, so I need to instill in them certain things that I know are frustrating, and when it's always coming from me, I'm going to be that dad until, like, maybe when they're 14 or 15. Or they, I probably have to do it before then because they'll be able to figure out how to search my stuff online. Right. But – <clears throat> like when they have friends over, I'm just going to like bust out a DJ and a sound system and fucking rap and, um, and, and embarrass them, you know, like straight up embarrass my kids. And I've got dance moves that go with all this stuff. I'm like kind of building this concert in my mind <laughs> that the, the, the unveiling of like, quote unquote, cool dad. Here I, I come. I, I think dad it really Francis. needs to happen for that, that, that's that sweet 16 party that that, that pinnacle moment it, it needs well, to happen then currently they think i'm a t-shirt salesman which is not far from the truth oh that's <laughs> awesome that's so good 
my and, my uh my five year old will try to get on the podcast, so it's pretty funny. Like he'll he'll come in the room and and try to talk to everybody. <laughs> yeah. yeah, hey, we could have done that. Yeah, next he, time. Yeah, well, next, next time. time for sure, because next time I'll have a better my my new board up, and I won't sound like a an asshole. Uh, but <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, before we before we cut out, dude, uh, let everybody know where you can get your your music, uh, where they can find you know your sweat all the URLs and, all that, and all that good stuff. Yeah. Oh well, you can just uh, my main website is strangefamousrecords.com or strangefamous.com. Um, I'm on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram. That's it. And um, we'll see what else is. I'm I'm working working on a podcast at the moment as well so we'll see nice. if i can get my recording set up going i just i need an excuse to to talk like an adult <laughs> um so that's gonna that's kind of what i'm looking forward to once i have my my recording set up going so well, yeah, hey, that. yeah let us know when it's up and we'll put it on our uh website i appreciate we'll, that we'll help push you man you know no, not a problem not a problem word up so anyway, Sage, dude, we really appreciate you coming on the show, and like you're always welcome to come back anytime you want to. Uh, I'll and our I'll sound will be much better. I yeah, promise. I promise. I promise. It better be. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the next couple shows are gonna be a lot of trouble. So, <laughs> but yeah, thanks again, man. We appreciated it. Thank you, hey guys. I, I really enjoyed it. I didn't even get into my uh, my history with men bands with you guys so yeah that was so, fun well, that's, to go we're gonna save that point. one for the next time yeah, for sure. yeah. um <laughs> we'll see how this one goes first yeah there you go <laughs> but um all right guys well i was your host wayne i'm the rum guy and as always remember to keep it That's it. Get the fuck!